That's what I loved about Flying Qantas. They give you a meat pie. I oh, thought that was brilliant. Oh, that's such a good idea. It's, you had a meat yeah, pie? A proper Australian meat pie. I only flew them once. With like tomato remember. ketchup on it. Yeah. You know, that's their business class signature dish, a meat pie. I thought it was fabulous. It's such a have, good... you, have you flown them? No. I've never flown Qantas. I mean, maybe I have in my youth, yeah, but I don't yeah. remember. It doesn't, doesn't really count. I've flown them only once. You know, I've, on purpose, when I learned that they were um, ditching the Emirates partnership and yeah. not going through Dubai anymore, I flew them from Dubai to London just by exchanging. And I was in first. That was really nice. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was really nice. That was, you felt like you were Austin Powers in that seat. Oh, yeah. Like it's a very swivel. Sw- sw- and there's only six seats in first or something on the yeah, A380. Like yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Like yeah, it's really um. Ah, uh, the good old times of uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> of course, now I don't remember which one is what on my sounds. So let's see this one. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Surprise, 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 guys. We have a guest. We have a guest. Our annual guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, in many ways, I would say you were the guest. but Oh, yeah, that's yes. true. We are yeah, scoring. you're hosting us. You're hosting us. Very when when uh, we last saw you, Alex wasn't, wasn't there. That's when he was taking the break. It's almost three years to the the dot. Uh, we recorded on the twentieth or twenty first of January, twenty twenty, when uh, we had the flu, right? Yeah, I remember you asking us how many of us had the flu. We were all sort of joking. Oh, yes, this COVID flu thing. Did we even call it COVID <laughs> back then? I think we just we just had heard like there was something in China, and we're like, oh, there's a flu going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strange times. So it's Ed Parsons uh, that is with us, and of course. Alex and I, so we are in person. This is amazing. We're not going to get audio drift, first of all. Really sorry, guys, that we've had that in the past few episodes where Alex is so bright. I mean, he's next to me and we know he's so bright that he's able to read my mind on everything I say before I say it. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, uh, it's so, a gift. It's a gift. It's, yeah, we know. That's, that's why I do it with you because by myself, I would be a disgrace. Um, so, um, Ed Parsons. Before we do that, I need to put the sound. So I'm using this different tool. So I need to find where is the opening credits. I hope it's the little pad here. Let's see, guys. There you go. Thank you so much, Ed, for inviting us back to Google. It's my pleasure. I, I mean, you're very welcome. It, it's in the, the week before Christmas. Everything is nice and quiet and... And Christmassy in the office. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we need to say we're recording that on the twenty second of December, twenty twenty two. I was about to say twenty twenty three for some reason. <laughs> this is for once not going to go out today. It's going to go out on the thirty first as a surprise for all of you. This is why Alex and I didn't wish you uh, uh, happy holidays at the end of the previous episode. We knew this was coming. Uh, so I guess we can say Merry Christmas. Although you will have heard that uh, we for us, it's not there yet. We're very happy with the final of the World Cup. We're going to stop talking oh, about that. <laughs> that was amazing. That was incredible, right? Um, so maybe, Ed, can you, uh, for those who haven't listened to the episode, I think it was 105. Yeah, pretty sure 105 DCA. Uh, and we, we should actually say hello to Dan and Elizabeth. We're not with us today. I'm sure they're very jealous not being here, actually. <laughs> uh, for those who haven't listened, can you just give us like a, a two-minute intro about who you are? And what you do yeah so the easiest way to think of me is is the google maps guy that's the the way i generally describe myself my uh my job is mostly evangelism and policy around how we build google maps google earth how your location is stored on your mobile phone that little blue dot on 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 google maps 
uh, I'm I'm behind the scenes helping all of that work. Um, and so, you know, I've been a, a, a geographer since I was as a child, grew up, learned a little bit of computer science myself, and I've been in the, what we call geospatial industry uh, for, for most of my career. Yeah, so thank you for Google Maps, by the way, which, uh, oh, yeah. which uh, really is a lifesaver every, everywhere we go. I'm going to say very easy because actually you gave us the idea of why we should invite you back at a very, very tail end of that episode 105 when, and I didn't even know about it, when just we're about to stop the recording, you say, oh, and I could tell you about the, day, the time when I visited all the uh, Concord in existence. And I was like, what? <laughs> we don't have any more time to record. <laughs> so three years later, almost to the dot, we can actually finally talk about that. We'll talk so that you guys know you've, you've heard Ed's name uh, very, very often on the show yeah. because uh, you interact a lot with us. You've been a very loyal, one of our most loyal, actually, listeners. So thank you very, very much for that. Uh, it gives us a lot of information, especially about uh, BA, because you're a very heavily traveler with BA. You're GGL. Yes, gold guest list. We'll, we'll get into that because neither Alex and I are GGL. No, I have questions, not just about what it entails, but how you achieve it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, because uh, for us, it's a, it's a mystery, access to the Concord room and, and stuff like that. But we're going to start with the uh, the, the Concord, since I said Concord room, but the Concord, the actual plane. Did you? Fly the Concorde? I did fly the Concorde. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I travel a lot for my job and I traveled a lot for my previous jobs, um, which allowed me to, to build up status, to build up air miles as they were once called avios these days. Um, and you know, being an av, av, an av geek, I have often said, I think my first memory was actually as a, as a small child living in, in Ballam, Southwest London. Hearing the prototype Concorde fly over my house and hiding under the table because it was <laughs> it was the loudest thing I or actually anyone in the neighbourhood had heard at the time. This was in, I think, the autumn, September 1970, and uh, Concorde diverted to land at Heathrow Airport rather than going back to Fairford. The prototype. So that was my earliest memory. And growing up in Southwest London, you know, Concorde was a regular part of all of our lives. You know, every. Uh, every morning at 11 o'clock, we'd see Concorde flying over on the dot. You could almost set your watch by it. And it was part of, part of our lives. So after traveling a lot at, at work, I kind of built up enough, uh, air miles and enough money in the bank to pay the taxes and so on. <laughs> so that when the, uh, Concorde was, um, retired back in 2003, there was an opportunity for me to, to fly back from, uh, New York to London. And I, I made the choice to fly back because there was a very unique takeoff that Concorde had to do at JFK. It had to take off and basically turn within uh, Jamaica Bay, which is just where JFK Airport is, for noise abatement reasons. So it would take off and then immediately do a 30-degree bank and keep that bank for about 200 degrees so it could then kind of turn around and then fly out. Wow. And it was you know, the closest to taking off in a, in a fighter plane, I guess you could imagine. Um, you know, people ask me what it was, you know, like, how does it compare to a, a conventional airliner? It, for me, it was a bit like the difference between being a, you know, a modern BMW Mercedes and an E-type Jaguar. You know, it, it, you felt every bump on the runway, you felt the acceleration, uh, very, very much. And, and, you know, it, it felt agile. It, it, it felt, you know, bouncy. You felt every every movement while it took off. It was 
extraordinary. You know, I was so glad I, ha I had the opportunity. And, you know, never been, never flown faster, never flown higher, and never will. Yeah, and we will never win. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I don't. convinced in any way that we will. Yeah, especially, I mean, we, we keep hearing about uh, Overture. What's it? No, Boom. Boom, all those guys. Boom, all those Overture, guys. yeah. I, I, I don't see it. I, I, same. Yeah, you need an engine. Yeah, exactly. They, and they don't an have engine. an engine. No. Yeah. And they, they, because everybody talks about the commitments they have with United, but United, they're just MOUs at the end of the yeah. day. We, yeah. we don't know this. It's been a great PR machine. They've yeah. done a fantastic job. And the renderings look brilliant, but, you know, without engines. And the engines were, you know, a major part of, of Concorde's success. You know, they took military jet engines, they added an afterburner because they weren't designed to have an afterburner. Um, and, you know, that was the, the secret of success, but it's not something you can do easily. No. Yeah, and also, uh, there's, I mean, I w let's, let's put it that way. I wish them luck. I, I really hope we, Alex and I especially, because you have done, that we can one day go travel go yeah. at that, exactly at that speed. But, so, but the, so the flights you saw when you were a kid, it was the test flights, right? Yeah, there were, there were 20 Concords originally built, only 20. And that was, that was all of them. There were two prototypes. So I saw the, the British prototype. Uh, there were two pre-production aircraft and then uh there were 16 that that sort of entered service in reality only only 14 entered service with air france and british airways so move the clock forward 20 years almost in my midlife crisis as such <laughs> uh, i decided one to learn to fly so i did that oh wow and that was expensive as as uh, alex will uh, oh yeah i'm sure agree the other one did was you, sorry, better you, than golf, you, though, surely. It's much better than golf, yeah. <laughs> did you do that here in the UK? I did that here in the UK at, at Fair Oaks, which is uh, near Woking, um, which was part of the problem. It's very congested airspace. I was about to say, can yeah, you fly yeah. anywhere? No, I mean, I used to fly down to Goodwood for a cup of coffee and a, and a cake and then fly back. And that was, you know, that was 400 pounds down this bout yeah. just to go and have a cup of coffee somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, it, it made no sense. The other thing, because I was traveling, I suddenly thought, well, there are these Concords that have now been retired in museums all around the world. Uh, many of them, you know, reasonably close to us here in London. Yeah. I thought, well, why not go and visit them? That would be, that would be fun. I could combine that with some of my business travel, which I did. So in 2016, from about, I think, May 2016 into the beginning of 2017, I went and I visited the, the remaining Concords, the 18 remaining Concords. 18? Yeah. I was thinking, well, I've, I think I've done like seven or eight. That must be all of them. <laughs> 18. There are 18 in museums. There are 18 surviving Concords. One, unfortunately, we know the one that crashed in, in Paris. Paris yeah. yeah. The other one was broken up by Air France. Does What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, people keep quiet about that one, but one was broken up. Really? Yeah. I want to I get into the, to the whole conspiracy stuff a little bit later as we, as we talk about that, because there's so many of these little badly written oh yeah mystery novel esque theories about the one still functioning concord <laughs> so the, the 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 prototype yeah is that the one at yeovilton uh the prototype is the one at yeovilton and the one in paris at the musée de l'air in uh, Le Bourget. Le Bourget. Bourget. Yeah. Bourget, yeah i've been to the one in yeovilton my grandfather who was an air commodore in the air force and did some of the testing on the prototype, the original prototype, uh, lived 10 minutes from Yeovilton. And so whenever we were out there, and there's, for the record, 
absolutely sweet F.A. around that area <laughs> other than Royal Naval Air Station Yeovilton, which has a fantastic museum. And so we would go there all, all of the time and that, that, that Concord there is, it's one of the ones with all of the, all the testing equipment still in it as oh, opposed wow. to the mock-ups or anything like that that some of the other ones have. So that to me was, as a six or seven year old, was really intimidating. Like, this doesn't look comfortable or fun at all. This is, is it this still, is, it's almost Doctor Who in it. Yeah, it's still there, still, still there. beautiful, yeah. Yeah, they look, they look after it particularly well. And, and they do look different. You know, we have a, a, a vision of what Concord looked like. Yeah. Yes, the prototypes looked pretty much the same, but there are, there are distinct differences, particularly the cockpit was very, you know, I always kind of think of it as sort of Buck's, Buck Rogers, you know, there was yeah. no real uh, forward view, two tiny little windows yeah. you could see out of, <laughs> of the front and it had a different tail. And the engines were completely different to the ones really? that were in the production aircraft, uh, much kind of more rough and ready, real more military style. So much louder, hence the, the experience I had yeah. as a child. Memories. Yeah, so those are the two prototypes at Yeoverton and Le Bourget. Then there were two pre-production aircraft, one's at Duxford here in the UK. The other one, sadly, is in a car park at Orly Airport near the Carrefour supermarket oh on the my. edge of the airport. No way. Yeah. I, that, what? I have not been to that. I didn't even know about that one. I've been to Orly so many times, I didn't know there was yeah. one over there. I yeah. thought you were going to talk. Okay, keep, keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. Keep going. <laughs> this is fascinating. Yeah, so they. Yeah. That, the, the contrast between uh, where these aircraft end up and and how they're looked after is is really interesting so, so three, the one at, the one at orly yes uh, so the the, the ones at, the one at yeovilton and, and the one at le bourget you can go inside you can walk around they're in hangar is one of le bourget in a hangar yeah immaculate and then you're saying there's this one at orly in a car park and car for <laughs> yeah there's one in a accessible <laughs> it's it's run by uh some uh, enthusiasts volunteers oh. it's i think I visited there back in 2016. It was open some weekends, but not all. Um, and, you know, criminal, the grass was it? growing quite long around it. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty sorry state for, uh, you know, oh. the pre-production Concorde. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's probably the, the one that's least loved uh, alongside the, the one that's at Heathrow Airport, Alpha Bravo, uh, which, you know, we, we all see as we kind of fly yeah. in and it's, land at 27 left. Genuinely sad. Yes, yeah. agreed. It's so I do. I my heart sinks every time, and I and I don't say that with any kind of hyperbole. I it I feel something every single time I see that airplane. Yeah, it's so disrespectful. Yeah, the way it is just there. Yeah, with all and, of the the scissor lifts and yeah, right, yeah, you know, yeah, just parked around it like it's another piece of you know piece of junk. And yeah. you know, I. I as part of my quest, I wanted to get my photograph taken in front of each of the, the aircraft. So, you know, I felt like a, a real criminal kind of sneaking into the staff car park to get a view of this piece of, you know, wonderful aviation history. Can you get quite close? Not really. Not really yeah. So I was in the staff car park and the airport police came along and said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just taking a photograph. And they searched me and... They, they let me go on my way, okay. but it's, it, you know, it's in no way accessible. And I think, you know, I think partially both British Airways and Heathrow Airport are a bit embarrassed by it. They, neither of them, I think it's owned by the airport now. British Airways gave it to the airport. And I think there was originally a view, although this may still be rumors. I think there was originally a, a view to put it 
You know that roundabout outside yeah, we're Terminal doing 3, 5? Yes, yes, the really yes, big yes, roundabout, yes. just the right size to put Concorde. Well, that would be nice. Like the, the one at, do at, that, um, at Charles de Gaulle yeah, in yeah, Paris, yeah, yeah. but it didn't, for whatever reason, happen. It just seems like such an easy win. Yeah. But you know, I think it was the time that Bruchero is kind of embarrassed that they'd retired it, and they it was the, the flagship of the fleet as such. Um, and, you know, it was retired no longer. They, they wanted to ignore it. And yeah, we'll get to that because that's part of the conspiracy theory. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go on. So that's uh, four. That's four. So those are the, the, pre, the prototypes and the pre-production. And then there were two uh, development aircraft, one each, which is at Brooklyn's Museum in Southwest London. And that's a great one if you want to experience what it was like on Concorde. Because yeah. they let you sit in the, the aircraft. The seats are the original seats that were taken out just as the aircraft was retired. So the, the Connolly leather blue seats, really very comfy. That's a and, great, great museum yeah. anywhere. They, for a civil aviation oh, fabulous. geek, yeah. they have some beautiful, it's same with Duxford as well. Actually, if you're a civil aviation as opposed to a military aviation enthusiast, those two are so great for it. Exactly. Because these are unique airplanes as, as they were. Yeah, not kind of sanitized or anything like that. I, I love both of those places. Yeah, and then the other equivalent post-production or development aircraft is again at, at uh, Toulouse in uh, mm. in France at the Airbus facility, ah, okay. Aeroscope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the remaining fourteen went into the British Airways and Air France fleets, and when they retired from both airlines, were distributed to museums all around the world. You know, there are some, one in Washington, uh, at, at Seattle, at the Museum of Flight. It's one at the uh, Washington, D.C., Uva Hazy Museum, which is one of the best oh, aviation museums anywhere. They both planet. are. Seattle was a, with the prototype 74727378. Yeah. Oh, That's the one places. where I cried. I cried like a little girl, and I am not ashamed of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where else? Well, it's one in New York at the Intrepid Museum. Yes. But unfortunately, it's parked outside, and I was there this autumn, and it's looking a bit weather-beaten, yes. uh, to be honest. It needs a bit of, uh, bit of paint, I think. Um, and then the, most of the others are in Europe, the, uh, the other odd one in many ways, and this is the one I uh, always had the most issues with my family explaining uh you know i want to go and see all the concords they thought okay fair enough actually one of them is uh uh retired to a museum in barbados what yeah so i had to convince my the family that i was going just to see this retired airplane in barbados <laughs> which actually was the reason i went and and, and it's well and we, they, know, we, we trust you but uh... and they do a very nice job you know <laughs> the, the, but is it in a museum? Is it's it just... in a museum. They built a special hangar for it. Uh, oh, wow. I wonder it's a how great that display. came to be. Yeah. Fabulous. Because it used to go, it used to be able to do a day trip to Barbados. I was about to say. Yeah. I, I think in the mid 90s, you could, because it, it flew to New York and then from New York on to Barbados, you could literally do a day trip where you could fly, go for a little bit of a paddle because the airport was quite close to a beach, get back on and be back in time on the same day. Just incredible. That's Unreal. Incredible. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. That would have been fun, eh? Is that, that one, is that one uh, well-preserved? Really well-preserved. They've done a nice job of that. Oh, yeah. wow. And the, I guess the other one that stands out as being special is the one in uh, 
Sinsheim in Germany, where it's uh, on the roof of the museum next to the Tubelhof 2144. So the two are parked next to each other, both sort of angled as if they were taking off, and it looks extraordinary. Uh, And you can make out if they're actually different or not. Yeah, and they are very different. Yeah, they are. Really, really different. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Were you able to get to have a picture in front of that one? Yeah, yeah. So you can go to the roof. Yeah, that's easy, relatively easy too. Oh, well, relatively easy. Legally or? No, no, legally. You had to jump on the roof. Yeah, and you can actually, I don't think you can get in the Concorde, but you can get in the 2144 and you can kind of walk up the sort of 30 degree angle that the the plane is at. And it's very agricultural. (laughs) Yeah, like many Russian airliners, you know, it was, it was, Put together with nuts and bolts, no messing about. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. What, the seats were still in there as well, or in that one? Yeah. Oh, my God. I need to see that one, actually. Yeah. Wow. So that was it. You know, it took me a, a year or so, and it was, yeah, it was, it was good fun, and it was interesting just to see the differences in, in the, the way that they're displayed um, and, you know, how much, how much care there is for some, uh, but not for others. Which one was your... Favorite, either your favorite by emotion or favorite because how it was preserved. I guess my favorite was the one I flew on, which was Alpha Charlie, that actually happened to be the the flagship of the British Airways fleet. So the registration was Golf Bravo Oscar Alpha Charlie. Oh, B-O-A-C. lovely. C, B-O-A-C, yeah. um, and that's uh, retired to the museum in Manchester. Uh, okay. So again, that's one you can go on. And I had a, there's a little bit of a, a tour. You can go and sit in the cockpit. And I was able to sit in the seat that I sat in. And, nice. You know, oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that was, that was nice. Oh, that's really nice. Wow. I mean, I think it's, it, what's crazy about Concorde is that so much time has passed that a generation of, of adults, it's lore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, that, that plane was, a, you know, it's almost Star Wars in a, in a galaxy <laughs> far, 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 far away. Yes, you know? Exactly. But it was an, a truly incredible airplane born out of, post-war britain it was the performance was unbelievable absolutely extraordinary like nothing we have access to nearly 1400 miles an hour you know when i I flew back cruised about 1300 miles an hour at sixty thousand feet which is just extraordinary if you think about it Uh, the the pilot would always make this comment that you know depending upon when it was there were only four or five people higher than us and they were on the space station yeah, <laughs> it was just amazing to think about it. And, you know, it was in many ways Europe's answer to the Apollo program. It was the same time. It mm. cost huge sums of money. It was clearly, you know, a financial white elephant. Yeah. You know, they built 20. There were high hopes, obviously, of building far more, more but, yeah. but they, they never did. And it really was on the, the edge of, of technical capability. Uh, you know, it, the reason that it took off very regularly, and we all set our watches by, uh, seeing Concorde taking off over southwest London, is it got priority to take off at Heathrow? Because if it was waiting more than, you know, five minutes longer than planned, it would have run out of fuel mm. on the one way and they would have had to cancel the flight. See, it was like, okay, 11 o'clock, go, off you go. Yeah. And, and it works like clockwork. It's, uh, and then, you know, the numbers that you just, you just said are, are staggering, but also the, the times getting to, getting to New York and, half the time maybe two-thirds of the of the of the time that it would take now it's just something we can't wrap our heads around yeah 
you know, as, as modern travelers sitting on a seven hour flight to New York going, come on, <laughs> or you're just zipping across and, uh, in Concord. And there's uh, all those iconic photos that come up on Reddit every week that, you know, uh, some military jet was tasked to take a picture of Concord at cruise speed and couldn't keep up with it and for more than 90 seconds and had to peel off again. And the Blackbird was the only, uh, still only the fastest yeah. plane and, that and carried a human being. The Blackbird needs to use this afterburner all of the time. All the time, yes. Where Concorde, you needed the afterburner to take off and to accelerate, but when it was cruising, the afterburner was switched off. It yeah. was just... And all, I mean, in a, in a Blackbird, the pilot had to be in a spacesuit, <laughs> whereas you were having a glass of champagne... Indeed. ...you know, reading a book. Uh, really extraordinary. Talking about that, how was he... Because, you know, there's all these... Again, if you go on Reddit, like people say, yeah, but you know, the seats were kind of narrow and it was kind of, you know, the whole, the usual stuff. So tell us about the experience on the Concorde. How was it? I mean, of course it was on the last flights, so obviously that was emotional, but how was it as a passenger? Yeah. I mean, the passenger experience was, was clearly different to the wide bodies that were around at the time. So, you know, I flew out to New York on a, on a 747, like everybody did. And that, that was nice and obviously very comfortable. It, it felt, I suppose, like, um, you know, an eject, like an Embraer, you mm. know, that, that's yeah. what it felt like. Maybe slightly smaller than an Embraer, but, you know, two by two, uh, no, no in-flight entertainment. Well, there was, I think there was a um, audio channel and mm. yeah, we were giving headphones and if you wanted to, you could, <laughs> you know, listen to the classical music selection or, or whatever. What are these, like an stereoscope type of uh, headphones? Yeah. yeah. Pressure ones. I think I remember they were a nice pair of Sennheiser headphones, oh, obviously, because, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, Concord. Oh, it was Concord. So, uh, was it loud? Was it loud in the cabin? Yeah, it was really loud. So, you know, you had to have the volume turned up. And the thing like that I think probably most surprised me about the whole experience was the size of the windows. Yeah, that you know that always small, strikes me. They're really, really small. They're sort of like not much larger than a playing card you're really really small oh, that's that yeah and they got really hot with the friction of the air yeah. passing mm. by them so you you couldn't put your hand against the window when it was uh, you know at full tilt because it would just be too hot wow um yeah so that was that was but, but you know you didn't notice you know you were given champagne canapes a nice meal the time flew by you know and i suppose that 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 height you're pretty much immune to any turbulence you're above jet yep. streams you're above cloud there's nothing yeah and there you know there's not obviously no sense of speed you could look down and you could see the clouds moving but but you did really have a sense of being that much higher really than, yeah of course than, yeah, yeah, yeah. than you yeah. know conventional aircraft you, know, you think uh flying across the atlantic if you're at forty thousand feet you think you're quite high this is at sixty thousand feet so you know it really is that much higher mm. I wish they had, of course, it's a different era. I wish they had like external cameras that oh, you could sort of take off with, like the Airbus. Yeah, so you, could, you could see the curvature of the earth, but you'd have to sort of step wow. back and look through five or six windows oh, yeah. and then you'd be able to see it. But yeah, it was, it was quite clear that you could see the, the curvature of the earth. Wow. What time did it take off from JFK? Uh, I think it was mid-morning, if I remember rightly. Because you I, could, I do, it was you could really, do a day flight. Yeah, it was it was it was a bit of a contrast because I was staying in in Midtown, and I ended up because at, at the time, uh, I, you know, I was trying to save my money despite going on Concord. I took a <laughs> shared van to JFK, 
<laughs> so I was the only guy that went into the Concord room at JFK from a shared van, I think, probably. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was uh, maybe lunchtime, mid-afternoon. We arrived back at Heathrow at three o'clock. So probably about the same time that we left New yeah. York. Because I've heard, I've heard many people say that a lot of people uh, based in London or in the UK would go to New York with the Concorde, but would fly back on uh, like a 747. So they could simply sleep because it was less of an advantage of midday, yeah. whereas it was a huge advantage of actually arriving. Um, yes, because you had a full day in New York. In New York, exactly. Yeah. right. Yeah. So, so I think, and then, you know, that, that was very much why it existed. You know, it existed you know, pre the days of video conferencing or, or the internet, if you wanted a, an important business meeting in New York for the day, you could do that. Mm. You could go, you could have your meeting and then fly home and it would, you'd still be home in time to tuck the, the kids in bed that evening. Well, when you think about that, it's insane. I know. It's, you know <laughs> absolutely it's, unbelievable. It's absolute. Was it? I know it's a silly question because I went to one, but since we're recording for people that might never actually been into a Concorde, did it feel cramped in terms of height as well, in terms of the tube itself? It, it does. And I think that actually the most claustrophobic element of it was that when you got on board, you know, you get on board at the, the, the port door at the very front, as you do with every airliner. And then, you know, you turn right and then you'd walk through a very narrow corridor where basically the computers were. And this, you know, is very much the reflection of this is 1950s, early 60s technology. The first quarter of the aeroplane almost was computers. Mm. And you have to walk through this very narrow corridor between these banks of computers to then to get to your seats. And that was the most claustrophobic part of it, I mm. think. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does feel, it did feel claustrophobic um, relative to, to the wide bodies. But, you know, hey, in the future, we're, always gonna, we're probably all going to be flying narrow bodies across the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. definitely. We're going, to be the we're going back in time. Dreadful yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did jet blue and I was fine because I was in the front. But I mean, yeah, more and more 321 XLRs, right? So, yeah, XLRs, yeah. So the, you took that flight when, remind us? This was in May 2003 and it was retired in October right. of 2003. So, you know, I kind of, as soon as it was announced that it was going to be retired, I, I got all of the Avios air miles at the time I had completely bankrupted my, my account. And, you know, the taxes then weren't too bad. So I was able to, yeah. to, to pay for it uh, that way. Um, and it was, you know, it was treated as a first class ticket as far yeah, as yeah, shareways were concerned. Yeah, obviously. Well, it's a good, I would, I would, I would just bankrupt all my miles across oh, all my programs to do one single flight. Especially when you know the opportunity is going to no longer be available yeah, in yeah, six yeah. months. Yeah, I think that would have been the motivation for me. Which too. is very, uh, I know I'm making a slight uh, parenthesis here, which is very frustrating because the 744 disappeared mostly during the pandemic. So yeah. it was not a real yeah. last shot. You're yeah. like, oh, if I want to, no, too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I, so, especially with, I mean, with BA, they, they really did. They parked them and then they got rid of them. There was no... Yeah. opportunity to do one last flight on the yeah. BA 747. Yeah. And that was heartbreaking. It really was. Yeah. I remember during the lockdown, because I live relatively close to Heathrow, I walked to Heathrow and, and wandered around the, the maintenance uh, hangars and just to see them all lined up. It was oh, just so I don't think sad. I, yeah. It's so sad. And we were talking, was it, I don't know if it was 
on a podcast or just out in the open, but uh, <laughs> that they are increasingly difficult to find. Yeah. And on any airline now. Yeah. Uh, 748 at least. Uh, seven four, well, yeah. at least Lufthansa is installing the new seats, so they're meaning that yeah. they're a probably committing for a little bit. I mean, it's, it's funny you talk about it. You know, I think if you ever had the opportunity to fly upstairs on the, the 744 British Airways, you know, that little cabin they had up there, yeah. that was quite close to that, the, yeah. the Concorde experience. I loved that. It was I, very intimate. You had those two cabin crew that looked after you. Yeah. For a while, Virgin had an economy cabin half of the uh, of the upper deck was an economy cabin i would push over an old lady to get up there because it's that you felt <laughs> badass being up there but you were paying a normal economy fare yeah i want to go back to the to the retirement of the concord because when it was announced i think a lot of us thought nah it's not it's, it's, this, this isn't the end it's, it's the end for british airways and air france but you can't get rid of the concord and there were all these rumors <laughs> this was just around the time when i had started my association with the Virgin Group, and Uncle Richard started making a lot of noise, like, oh, we're going to take him and we're going to use him because it's the it's British engineering, it's blah, 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 blah. And I think there was a, he was reasonably serious about trying yeah. to acquire them, and BA did whatever they could to prevent that from happening. And I think quite is that rightly, a fact? Is that a fact? Well, this is, this is the yeah, interesting, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is the crucible of so many of these conspiracy <laughs> theories, one of which was they were deliberately sabotaged to to make sure that they could never be made airworthy again. I don't think that's actually possible, but that was the prevailing. They've been they had been sabotaged to make sure that they could never fly again. Well, the I think you're right. There are loads of conspiracy theories around this. I think fundamentally the decision was made by the two manufacturers. So yeah. the manufacturers have to stand behind any airliner and, and, and yeah. maintain it and yeah, provide, and, yeah, and provide airworthiness directives and so on and so forth. When uh, Airbus, as it was then, decided, right, we're not going to do this anymore, the choice was made for the airlines. Yeah. So yeah. British Airways and, and Air France didn't have much choice. There is lots of conspiracy around how much of the decision-making between Air France and Airbus was, hey, Air France had never made money on yeah, compared to, yeah. They were desperate to, to stop flying to it. To let go, yeah. British Airways, I think, probably would have wanted to carry on flying because they'd invested a lot of money in refurbishing the fleet after the, the, the post-crash rounding. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think they, they were really that keen, but they didn't have much choice. Certainly Virgin couldn't have done so because <laughs> Airbus wouldn't allow them to, yeah. to fly it. Yeah. And I, I think uh, it was... Typical Branson bluster. Yeah. <laughs> How could you? How could British Airways do this and all of that stuff? But the, the, the sabotage was, was interesting. That one kept coming back up. And the other one was that there was a group of engineers who were secretly maintaining the airworthiness of one that of the many models. Times, yeah. And I think it might have been, I don't know which one it was. It's one of the UK ones that they were, they were, they were going in there and they were making, doing all the things that one needs to do, which is, the sort of counterbalance to the deliberate sat neither is possible. Yeah. Really, when you think about it, like you have 75 plus year old Spitfires happily spinning around the sky on a daily basis. That's, you can maintain these things. I mean, is there a shred of original material on any of those? Probably not <laughs> at this yeah. point, <laughs> you know? But if you think about, you go to air shows and you think, you, you look at what's flying, there aren't a lot of jet passenger aircraft. 
Correct. performing. You Correct. just don't see them flying around. I mean, you see prop planes, you see, you know, the de Havilland dragons flying around. DC three is not a great example. Constellation. Life. Constellations. And even then they are, but you don't see, you know, a DC eight. No, you don't see a TriStar as much as I would love to see. Oh yeah. TriStar especially. As soon as they lose manufacturer support, then it becomes. Yeah. And they're incredibly complex machines. Yeah, I was about to say, a hobbyist cannot really do it. it. And, you know, there's a a differentiator with, you know, air shows are my thing. When I'm not working or traveling, I I go to air shows. And there's a very distinct line where you you can have warbirds, Spitfires, Mustangs, so on and so forth. As soon as you get to what they call complex, it's got a hydraulic system and it's got multiple engines, that's way out of the capability of, of, you know, amateurs to, to manage. And that's why... I think it was, isn't John Travolta had a 707 yes. for a while? Yeah. I think that was the, the real outlier. But yeah. It would be wonderful. Someone had, you know, in the future, preserved 747. How amazing would that be? I think it's almost uh, necessary. Don't you, don't you have in Kent like a, like a parking space, like in I'm Orleans? Sure I you can just park there, one there, and wait uh, 20 years. I, I, yes, <laughs> I'm sure I can make that happen at some point. It's necessary. It's necessary as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there's, you have so many of these. Uh, unusual models, you know, like the the 747 SP that NASA yeah. used for atmospheric observations. I think that just is going to be parked now forever. Just at its last car. It just it feels wrong, but I completely understand it. At the same time, to see those, you go to Mojave or any of those other places where big heavy jets are stored or put to death, uh, it it's unnatural. Yeah. It's unnatural as far as I'm concerned. But I, I, I get it. I can rationalize it, but it doesn't make it any less painful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I think for, for many of us, Concord, because of the aesthetics, you know, it was just a, yeah. a beautiful machine. You know, it's, it, like, it's like one of these, you put a poster on your wall as a kid, like people do with Lamborghinis, you know, yeah, because exactly. it was so epic yeah. and so different epic and so right futuristic. Word. Even yeah. today, you look at it and you're like, we're talking about something that will happen one day. Yeah. And which is sort of strange to say that, isn't it? Yeah. And there's the same for the 747. I think it's a similar aesthetic. You know, yeah. Lots of curves. You know, I think, is it Richard Rogers? You say it looked a bit like a, you know, a Sabre jet fighter. You yeah. know, the, yeah. the bump was like the, the canopy of a fighter plane. Yeah. And I, I think that there's some truth in that. And, you know, best will in the world, an A330 isn't that attractive no, you know, functional. <laughs> and neither is this 777-200 if we're being honest i mean they are not there's something graceful about the dreamliner but that was a that was a, a generational leap in yeah. in aircraft development just like the 747 wasn't it but the concord was in it to your point paul it's like we're I, i'm looking forward to going back to the past to, to us getting there in the future yeah. to a technology that's 60 years and old. And also there's something to say about design. It's like, uh, I'm not into cars, but if you look, look at all the cars that were made in the 60s and the 70s and you look at the cars nowadays, yeah. mostly for you know health and safety reasons mm. for not hitting pedestrians, they all look the same. Yeah. They're not as, you know, epic. No. As, th- you know, like cars that, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s. So I mean, maybe that's a bit that as well. This is why a Dreamliner or a 350 I mean, they look cool. You know, they made some effort yeah. with the windows and from the, 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 the cowl, the, 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 the engine, you know, like these sharp things in the back. I mean, yeah. it looks cool, but it's not epic. And, and, and I think you're right that there's that commonality, isn't there? Because, you yeah. know, our future is going to be made of 
small twin engined aircraft or maybe larger twin engined aircraft. Don't okay, say that. maybe small you know, if there are <laughs> if you know hydrogen comes along as an alternative fuel source, maybe there will be different designs. But fundamentally today all airliners look pretty much similar to each exactly. other. You know, yeah. really small twins to really large twins. That's it. Well, you know, when I was a, a child standing on top of the the Queen's building at Heathrow, every airliner looked different. You had mm, engines yeah. at the back, you had engines under the wings, you had Concorde, you had T-tails, you had Russian airliners that looked like jet fighters and were smoky. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. there was so much <laughs> diversity in design. Now they all look pretty much the same and they're yeah. all painted white. And it was all based on the received <laughs> wisdom at the time, <laughs> right? Like, the white, I yeah. don't know if you do this, but when I have, whenever I get on a BA flight that has IFE, the first thing I watch, especially when we're just sitting on the ground, is all of the old BA paraphernalia and propaganda that they used to put out, all the Imperial Airway stuff, all the BOAC stuff, just ridiculous stuff. And one of them is about the Comet. Uh, and then the other one is about the VC-10. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this is the, uh, the, the, the engines are on the back because that's where they're supposed to be. You know, that's where <laughs> engines live. Uh, why wouldn't they be? And it's like, well, okay, well, we've kind of figured out that that's not the case, but we've, we've, res we've kind of landed at this point where engineering wisdom is yeah. now universal. Yeah. Yeah. And also we know now what works best at some yeah. point. Also. And it's we're also events. thinking a lot yeah. more about performance. Yeah. You know, and economical performance as well. Yeah, you yeah, need to yeah, be yeah. able to make money yeah. for the airline. Yeah, otherwise you have a cool jet. Yeah, you're not going to buy it because it was made in the country that you represent. Because there's no, there's a European manufacturer and there's an American manufacturer. Or you know, Ember is kind of figuring out where they live. And China is coming in. Let's see where they go with. with yeah, but, there's but no, they don't yeah. even look that different. They no, look no, like no, Airbus. No, they don't. You've ended up in the same way. The cars all look pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. And then airliners all look pretty much the same. I think you know there may be the shift with alternative fuel sources but that's that's some way off yeah a lot yeah a lot yeah. a lot of so do you do you give any credence to going back to the concord any credence to any of the uh, conspiracy theories about the concord that uh, no yeah, and I, I think in my general view of life is that you know there are cock-ups and conspiracy theories and usually it's the cock-up that that's the yeah. real reason i think incompetence or like the simplest reason economics yeah. killed concord, I agree. and yeah. if it hadn't been retired in 2003 it would have been retired in 2010 maybe well, 2008 with a crisis 2008 I mean, yeah maybe well it's worth acknowledging i think as well that for something that was essentially designed on paper like everything was theory we don't know if this is going to work we don't know if strapping an afterburner to it might not work it may <laughs> work its safety record was staggering but, yeah yeah given the performance given the 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 forces that were acting on that airframe yeah. time that there was only one hull loss is staggering to me. And I think that's kind of lost. Well, it's, it's, it's built to fly. It's, it, look at it. It, it belongs in the air, but it operated for what? How many years? 40 something years. Yeah. So 77 to 2003. Okay. So yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah so. not very long, really compared with most modern airlines, right. but yeah, but you're right. You know, it, it really was always on the edge yeah. of, of what was possible. It was and, a spaceship. Uh, it was a spaceship. And, and, you know, it was pushing the edge of technology at the time in a way that you wouldn't do today. Yeah. No one, well, you know, no one, no one would have six air, you know, six prototype aircraft, uh, in, in the same way that they did then. You know, there was no computer aided design as such. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, guys with 
French curves and slide rules. It's yeah, it, it really is a a testament to that. I think that that and that generation of engineer. Yeah, I mean, going back to the point you made about cars and the way that they looked and they were and and the Apollo program. I mean, they were going. It might work. Yeah, I think mean, the big jumps. You know, you yeah. uh, Apollo eight. What a what a crazy mission. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go round the moon at Christmas, just because. Just see what happens. Yeah. See what happens. It'll be exactly. funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, different days. Yeah, I think. I mean, we don't want to sell old guys when we talk about this, but uh, to a certain extent, I think even if you simply look something that both Alex and I maybe you as well, we look at simply general design, whether it's simply branding. You mm. look at what's nowadays; everything seems to look very similar. Yeah, very beige. Very. Uh, there's a, a bit of sameness. Yeah. Uh, for branding because it has to be readable on the phone. So it has to be the lettering cannot be completely crazy and everything. And, you know, I think we are, we arrive at a certain apex of engineering. So we know exactly what works, how it works best to make money as well. And it's a bit, so that's why there's got kind of, a, when but we look I, at him. Yeah, there is space for differentiation. I agree, you know, going yeah, back course. to Alex's, you know, career with Virgin America, you know, it was something different. And, and I think there's always that opportunity when, when we get into this, you know, it's going to be a, you know, a tough couple of years, probably financially, and um, for yes. the airline industry, it's not mm. going to be easy. But but there's opportunities to differentiate yourself. If you can't do that based on the aircraft, well, what else can you do? Yeah, and and, and I think there's there's still opportunities. For I've flown. Uh, it was one I forgot, guys, which episode? The one when I discussed uh, JetBlue. Mm. It was different. It was flying something different over over the Atlantic, and I was like, just because of that, I would actually inch myself towards flying it again. Yeah, because we, I, I know I'm talking to someone who's very, very loyal to BA, but it is <laughs> it is different. And uh, even when we keep talking, I mean, I don't think you've ever done Qatar, but even simply no. besides besides the fact that it's you know, of course, the seat is amazing, that Q suite, it is a bit different. And you're like, oh, I'm going to give it. A, it's not as different as, of course, a Concorde, but that's all that there's a bit of a novelty that you don't have yeah. that much, and it's interesting. I, I think. Yeah, you're right. There is there is space, and there's space also in the soft product and how they yeah. welcome you, which is what you guys tried at Virgin. You you were also differentiating not only on the product itself, but how the culture, or how the, how you felt the culture of a, of the airline yeah. as a passenger. Meaning. Yeah, I think that the the thing that I take away from that Virgin America experience and that salved my wounds for years after <laughs> after it disappeared was that. It, it died to drag the rest of the American domestic market into the 21st century. And I think that was a noble and ambitious thing to do when really it was just kind of bringing it up to par with the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, but when you don't have somebody who's thinking a little bit grander than what's available, instead of doing things incrementally, you do them in a slightly more revolutionary uh, approach, then that type of change is never going to happen. And that yeah. I think that's what yielded so much of the, the technological advancement of the 60s was that that marriage of theory and imagination absolutely and also this the dream yeah i mean you like read... the, there was the, there was something about progress and innovation that was by definition hopeful yeah we're gonna have make better we're gonna go faster we're gonna be bigger uh and whereas nowadays there's a bit of anxiety about yeah. progress yeah but we, we don't quarters. even use yeah. the term progress anymore we, we shifted to way, innovation no. now yeah. Yeah. which is more kind of business-like but there's the word progress that like, you know, medicine and science will solve our illnesses and everything. Yeah. That's, that's a bit now kind of, so I think it's just a general mood. Yeah, um, I, I think there's some truth in that. Although, you know, maybe the, the, the giant leap will be in a slightly different direction. So you know, in the past, in the sixties, it was higher and faster. So, you know, 
you know, in the next decades, it's going to be, you know, more efficient, greener. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of scope for innovation in that, in that space. The, the challenges are every bit as big. If you look at the energy density of a jet a1 compared to a battery yeah no one's going to fly across the atlantic on a battery-powered airplane that's just <laughs> not going to happen no. so something's going to have to fill the gap do you do you, do you think i know i'm jumping completely do you think because you just talked about what could happen and would that people would not do uh because it's something that's always in the background do you think we'll have at least for a short haul a uh, single pilot operations Oof, that's a good question. Because they're pushing. I mean, we know Ryanair is trying to push. We know, I mean, to what extent is always exaggerated in the press because, mm. of course, people like to bash on Ryanair for being uh, low cost, whereas actually they have a... You might see it for sort of short-haul cargo operations initially, maybe. That's where it will start. I I think it's, it's a very conservative industry for very Agreed. good reasons. Mm. And I... I still don't see it for, for passenger. I can't aircraft. imagine pilot unions going, yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> yeah. Same. I, I Same. just don't, don't see it happening. Same. No. Same. But then I know that I think, I think I read that Airbus is doing, I mean, he's doing research at least in that field. Yeah. Obviously I they have if, to be ready. If, if you're, if you're thinking that that's the future and then you're developing systems with that in mind, in mind yeah. then the systems will only get better. Yeah. And Agreed. you'll alleviate pilot the workload and, and reduce some of these CRM related accidents that, that happen. I mean, less and less and less, but I think that that can only be a good thing, yeah. even if we never get, and I don't even know how comfortable I would be knowing that there's only one. And what is it like, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's so it, many it, questions that I don't want to. I'm sorry, you know, if the economics of your flight ends up with the pilot being the most expensive element you want to cut, something's yeah. gone very badly oh, wrong 100%. There. That's a great point. That's yeah, a great 100%, point. The 100%. So let's um, move, move on from Concord. I mean, we'll still talk about, uh, about Concord, but uh, I mean, you've been traveling a lot. We'll, we'll go at the tail end, guys, if you're interested about, you know, elite status on BA, we'll get there at some point. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen simply because I follow you on, on both Instagram and of course on Twitter, but you also have a website. Is it edparsons.com? Edparsons.com and, and photos.edparsons.com, yeah, exactly. which is, which is my hobby now. That's, that's where I wanted yeah. to go because you've, through your, through the photos that you've been putting out, I've seen that not only you've been traveling quite a bit in 2022 and a bit before as well, looking almost like 2019, but also that you've been to a lot of air shows, it seems, because there's a lot of, um, jet fighters that I've, I've seen on your, on your photos. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that as well? Yeah. So it didn't take me very long to work out that being a private pilot was not a sustainable hobby for me. <laughs> so I, I decided that I would, you know, cash in the money I was spending on Avgas, uh, on Sony photography equipment. And <laughs> oh, you're a Sony guy. Yeah. Okay, I'm a wow. Sony guy, mirrorless now. And, and so I now spend certainly the summers going to air shows around the world. Uh, photographing jets and warbirds and so on and so forth. Uh, but also in the winter, you know, go out uh, at, at night, there's a whole kind of subculture of photography about taking pictures of aircraft that are floodlit at night at museums, mm. and that's quite fun to do. So, yeah, that's that's become my passion now, and uh, I enjoy going to air shows, but I also enjoy going to, to strange places, like Alex uh, this summer was in Mojave, and... It's a great photography destination. I agree. You know, so many great uh, photographic opportunities of, you know, the boneyards and old airplanes. You can literally just be driving along the road and there's a plane at the side of the road that someone's turned into a bar or something. Yeah. And it's, it's just <laughs> fabulous. And so that's, yeah, that's what I do. And yeah, photos.edparsons.com is where I, I put my the best of my photos. So 
what have been the highlights of your let's call it a tour my tour. Since, since since we came back of uh, for travel after this uh, horrendous covid era yeah I, i think probably it was this trip to california i did this this last autumn was great because it was the first air show to be held at edwards air force base in over 10 years so edwards air force base is very you know historically famous it's where the sound barrier was originally broken and this was a an air show to celebrate that oh um, wow so there were lots of you know uh exotic test aircraft there there was the uh, the aircraft that was used in top gun maverick no uh, way oh yeah that. which lots of people had their photographs taken oh, in front of, of. and actually you know, it looks very realistic despite it probably being made of plywood and polystyrine they worked with the uh, lockheed on yeah. the skunk works and it had on like, that, the skunk works logo on it and everything oh, and that was fun but you know it was amazing you know talking about concord again it was amazing to be there and because edwards air force base is in, literally in the middle of nowhere they could break the sound barrier so at the beginning of the show each day they had an f-18 break the sound barrier over the airbase and And if you've not heard it, you know, most of us haven't heard the sound barrier being broken. It's an extraordinary sound. You know, it really is a loud double bang that you can't ignore. And, you know, all the car alarms went off and everything. And, you know, that was a great, great fun experience. How did you get in? Was it this open to the public? Was it? This was open to the public, but I had managed because went with some, uh, some friends who had base access to get to other parts of the airbase that we couldn't do normally. NASA have got a museum of, Uh, some of their prototype aircraft there's a couple of wow. SR-71s and uh, there's a, an F-8 Crusader that has a, called a super critical ring, wings, a very flat wing. Uh, yes. And, and the, um, I don't know if you remember the $6 million dollar man. Yeah, of course. You know, that crash at the beginning of that lifting body thing called the HL-10. There's a HL-10 in this museum. No way. Wow. Yeah. So I say, yeah, this is the sort of thing that I, I go hunting for. Yes, like all the other Av geeks, I spend time at, you know, Myrtle Avenue by Heathrow Airport taking pictures of the planes landing, but going and finding these more exotic aircraft in the middle of deserts or, you know, a Greek Air Force bases, that's, that's what I really like doing. What, 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 what other shows have you been doing that could be... Uh... Well, I go to Duxford every, every yeah. okay. uh, summer and I go to those Duxford shows, which I'd recommend to everybody. You know, it's a relatively easy place to get to just near Cambridge and... If you want to go and, and see a Spitfire and hear a Spitfire, mm -hmm. hear a Merlin engine, it's definitely worth going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's something that I should do more, actually. I love I that. I know the you do, yeah. The is great. The Battle of Britain ones, they did one where the, they recreated the Berlin airlift. So there was <laughs> maybe 45, <laughs> see, every, every so variant cool. of DC-3, C-47 just going and going and going. And it was just, it, it That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, they do a really good job with it yeah. in Duxford. And, and I think it's important, you know, it's important to support these museums. And there are many, you know, local museums around the UK, around Europe that are all run by volunteers. And, you know, if you can support your local aviation museum, just go along yeah. and, and, and have a wander around. Do, do, do you go the same way you went out or you wait to specifically go to see every single Concorde in existence? Do you do that for specific air shows? Maybe you have a friend that told you that, oh, you know, there's this aircraft that will fly or there's this aircraft that is there. Mm. Do you do that the same way? A little bit, uh, although not as much because you know, I've got a job. So <laughs> that, that, yeah, but you get to travel with your yeah, job. Yeah, that stops, stops me. But I did, you know, I was fortunate that the AN-225 visited oh. uh, Bryce Norton oh. three years ago. So I was wow. able to go and see that. 
uh, obviously before it was destroyed yeah, uh, earlier this year. So that was great to be able to do that. And, you know, there were 400 of us that, you know, appeared out of nowhere <laughs> uh, to, to go and see this aircraft landing because, you know, the rumor mill had picked up. It was, I think, it was dropping off a helicopter that had been in Iraq at, at the RAF base. So, wow. Uh, we all went to see that. Do you go to uh, things like Farnborough and Paris and Dubai? Yeah, Farnborough is a sad, sad shadow of what it used to really? be. Really? Oh, is it? Gosh, yeah. Really? Yeah, we know when I was a, a child, a teenager, we all used to go on the train to Farnborough and it would be, you know, a two or three day air show. You'd see the Red Arrows and SR-71s or whatever. Now, and, you know, there was a trade show, obviously, and that's that was the main reason for Farnborough. But now the, the air show pretty much no longer exists. It's just a trade the show. trade show. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and if you want to go and buy you know, a seat or you want to buy a washer for your particular design of airliner, <laughs> you can go and do that. But uh, there's no That's air show sad. anymore. I didn't know that was the case. Yeah. Wow. And I think it's largely because the airfield has been built up. You know, it's houses all around it now. And post the, the Shoreham crash of, of mm. a few years ago, you know, you can't the really fly appetite. fast jets yeah. uh, in the same way. Which is, you know, I guess that's that's. I suppose the Eastbourne at. is really the one that that yeah. you can do that because everything's done over the water. Yeah, so air, air shows over beaches are the big thing at the moment. Both here in Europe, you have your Bournemouth, Eastbourne, uh, uh, some shows in 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 other parts of the UK, and also in the states now they're becoming more and more popular. The, I think the air show at Huntington Beach is one of the yeah. the biggest shows now. My niece was stationed at Pensacola, and they have a huge one there as well. So I want to add to the list. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I'm an av geek. I've always been an av geek. I, you know, I love airplanes. Is there there a show in Barbados so you can actually come back? (laughs) (laughs) If there is, I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I need to go to Barbados because I need to photograph that plane. Bucket list. We we can move on to, to, to BA unless we, you want, you want to add something about air shows. Oh no, no. I'm just a a fan. We know, guys. We are uh, we're based in the UK, so obviously we have a uh, big optics on BA because it's is the most it's our traditional airline. It's the airline we will fly the most. This is why we talk about. But we have someone Ed, that was that's probably flown BA more than both of us combined. Uh, yeah, was also so. loyal and uh, besides the status that we'll, we'll get to. Uh, do you fly anything else than BA? Oh, when I fly lots of things other than BA. <laughs> okay, but, because but, it feels like sometimes you only fly BA. No, when but, I, when but as I you see. say, you know, it's being based in London, and, yeah. and I often fly around Europe or off to North America. BA is often the easiest, most convenient flight. And I've been, I've just got a look. I don't know how many of you have noticed this. One of the few things on the BA website that's kind of reliable and works reasonably <laughs> often is is the My Flight Path is it, feature. Is it, I, it's weird and sad. That I knew you were going to say is one of the few things I was like, he's going to say that works. Yeah, it works. So it's the My Flight Path feature. I don't know if you hear it. Oh, wow. Anyone Holy notices crap. it? What? So yeah. this is my history with British Airways. Oh, Going wow. back to 2000 was when I joined the BA Executive Club. Because that's a lot. And I've flown, you know, 1,637,069 miles with British Airways, 19 weeks in the air. Visited 96 cities, 43 countries, 11, 1.1 times the moon Earth orbit. 
Wow. Sure okay, so yeah. You'd be... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, I get loyalty. You know, I tend to, to be like a bee and trying different programs. Now that I fly less for 2023, especially, I think I'm going to wind up, you know, wind, sorry, wind down a lot of programs. I cannot sustain four programs or whatever. So I understand uh, that you'd be very loyal. And also, again, because we, when we're in London, it's true that it's the easiest option. There's more flights and if there's an issue in the morning uh, there will be another aircraft whereas if you fly something else it might not yeah so how is it maybe let's put it that way how, how has ba evolved in the how many is it 2000 and so two, 2000 i joined the executive club yeah 2000 yeah. okay okay so like 22 years okay we can remove the two years of covid if you want but <laughs> uh, do you because you know if there's a guys if you don't live in the uk and maybe you have the same at home there's this constant discussion about how it used to be better but in life we all don't we all tend to think it used to be better actually we all think that it was better because we were simply younger and when you have younger you tend to have less expectations and also when we get older we tend to idealize the past so was it actually really better or do you think I think it's been variable, to be honest. There have been times, <laughs> variable is very appropriate. There have been times when it's been much better. There have been times actually when it's been worse than now. And mm. and it and it's it's complicated, you know. It's a it's a big organization, and I think our relationship as passengers with airline uh, with airlines is is complicated as mm-hmm. well. You know, some of course, yeah. You know, it, early on, my experience with British Airways was kind of almost before. You know, booking flights on the internet was a thing. So you used to book flights with travel agents. So that that whole element of the the products didn't exist as such. And yeah. then you came online, and then um, you know the you know the whole experience of as you get more senior in your role, you kind of work more towards the front of the airplane, ideally. Um, <laughs> so you experience changes as well. But I think it's. It, it's been bumpy, I think. You know, sometimes it's been a great experience. Sometimes it's been terrible. There are, I think, consistencies in terms of uh, the flight crew are always super professional and always very communicative when you compare it to other airlines. You, when you say flight crew, you're talking about cockpit crew. Cockpit crew, yeah. yeah. I, I completely agree with that. You know, you can often be in an American airline and the 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 copy crew might not even talk to you whereas with uh british airways you always get the pilot you know as soon as the door's closed yeah you know the pilot's going to come on and talk to you and Correct. i appreciate that consistency and right. yeah. they you know they're always kind of very smooth and and very you know top ho chaps and as you'd expect a british pilot to be um but you know the, the rest of the experience has been all over the shop uh the hard products has been, to be frank, poor for quite a long time. It's now clearly improving. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it's, it's, it's variable. And I think that's, that's just the reality. But do you, besides the fact that you've now almost kind of bought in, I mean, we're, you still live in London, it's still the best option out of London. Besides that you've bought in and you have Avios and there's a lot of this uh, accounting, would you ever consider... I mean, has there been a point where you say, you know, enough of this? This is not BA bashing, by the way. No. Because we, we know BA is a great brand and a great airline, but we've all seen the gaps. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's never been that bad, actually. Oh, wow. My experience with them. <laughs> um, you know, there are, because I've always taken the, the view that 
any one flight can be brilliant or yeah. it can be terrible. Correct. And, you know, to be fair, any cabin crew can be having a bad day. Agreed. Uh, yeah. You know, a seat can be broken on an airplane. The, the, you know, the flight uh, entertainment system might not be working particularly well on a particular day. You know, these things happen. Um, and because it, it, it isn't consistently bad or isn't consistently good, you kind of go along with it. It, it for me, the reason I fly mostly British Airways is because it's convenient. Mm. Uh, if there was more competition, hey, that would be great. Yeah. And I would make the most of it. But to be honest, if you live in London, you're going to end up flying British Airways most of the time, probably. You mentioned North America. Do you use uh, AA sometimes to try it out? Yeah, I, 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 I suppose the thing that has changed recently, well, most, I guess, not so recently, but you know, the, the whole alliance thing, is you something that you do think about so you know i'm one world now so i will try american and now alaska in um america and yeah so i'll, I'll i will keep to, to keep to the alliance where i can because you know you get status you get miles they've, yeah, they've that's got it. you yeah would you fight for your status on ba alex no no i'm not i'm i am going down <laughs> to silver I think in march there's no way i'm going to get my i think same i think they might have, have one shot before because I'm I'm renewing on Mar March as well. I think end of March. I have one shot to maybe get, but I'm not sure I'm going to get gold. And, and to be honest, you know, I don't think that's any of the impression I get over the last couple of years. And maybe this is just still the the shadow of COVID. I, I don't think the airlines are that bothered about your your loyalty, particularly. I don't. I don't. It doesn't really see feel that. like that. I mean, I, no. we we talk. I think. You and I talk on the show a lot, and we talk on on Twitter and things. And you, you you go on Flyer Talk. Flyer Talk is an interesting beast because oh, yeah. it's basically people like us. But what bothers a lot of people on Flyer Talk, I don't even think about. Like same the the, the flowers and the toilet. <laughs> I don't give a crap. Same. What I what I and I you know, I look at these experiences not just as a frequent flyer, but also too often. And this is a little bit of self flagellation. Uh, with my customer experience hat on. And the thing that kills me about BA, A is the in inconsistency, and I couldn't agree with you more, but also procedurally dropping things that seem to be such low-hanging fruit. Oh, but we talked about, uh, you can see it live now, we talked about the recognition of your status. Has yeah, it, uh, and, and that, that used to certainly be a thing. I certainly remember, you know, I've I've been... A gold member of British Airways for probably 20 years. I've been wow gold guest I mean, list for five years. I'm gold member for life now. Let's talk about GGO quickly. All right. What one needs to do to attain it. So and, gold, what it and what gold, it is, actually, yeah. for those so, who don't know. Yeah. So gold, the gold guest list is the status above gold. There's another status above gold guest list, yeah. which is the black card that <laughs> you have to spend enormous amounts of money corporately with British Airways to be given one or be a, a VVIP and you'll be given a black card. But the gold guest list is for very frequent travelers. You need to get 5,000 tier points in a year uh, to get uh, Just in one year list. over your year. Let's, let's give an example. London to New York would probably, in economy, would probably yield 60 or 70 tier yeah, points. something like yeah. that, probably. Yes. So 5,000 yes. is, is pointy end. A yeah. lot. It's pointy end a lot. And, and a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A, really a yeah, lot. Yeah. 
It's really a lot. And once you get it, it, it goes down to, I think, 3,500 points to maintain it. But it's still a lot. Oh, I, you still need to maintain it. Oh, you still need to maintain it. Uh, and I, and I, like you guys, you know, looking for the, I don't think I'll, I'll maintain it next year. Um, but the benefits it gives you are probably most valuable for me. It gives you a status that you can give your family. Mm. So I can give my wife a gold card. I can oh. give my kids silver cards, wow. which is great for them because they get lounge access when they're traveling on their own and they get the benefits that that gives them. That's cool. Um, you get a dedicated telephone line that you can call. Oh, even more dedicated than even gold. Even more dedicated than gold. <laughs> is it working though? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> these days, even no. when you try to call the gold executive, you're like, uh, I'm waiting as well. So Yeah, know. yeah. You may, you may wait slightly less. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perhaps. Fair enough. Um, you get supposedly, and I've, this has never really worked for me, you supposedly get uh, additional um, capability to book flights with your Avios points mm. when there's no other availability. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's, Which but it is, never worked, you said. It's never right. really worked for me. Maybe because of I the, wonder if that's an, yeah, an IT. The routes. Or, oh, I, I think oh, yeah. it's more likely an IT kerfuffle than anything else. Every time I try to, re to, to, to get reward flights, I'm going, it's just a nightmare, this thing. Yeah. Never works. Sorry. And, and once I upon agree. a time, you would get invited along to events. So oh, nice. certainly pre-COVID, I was invited on maybe one or two occasions to meet you know, BA executives in sales or marketing. I once met Alex Cruz. At, uh, was he the then CEO? He was then CEO at a hotel. I forget which hotel it was in London. Yeah, and, you know, it was drinks, canapes. Thank you for your loyalty, blah, blah, blah. Um, I did have a go at him about the shocking state of BA's <laughs> IT systems, which he didn't really appreciate, I don't think. <laughs> really? I mean, you did. And this, you know, this was five or six years ago. BA have had terrible was it, was IT. It, um, before, before and after the meltdown, the famous meltdown in uh, 2016, I think this was before 17. the... Which meltdown? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was probably before the meltdown. Um, and, you know, it's kind of eyes glazed over. Yeah. Thank you very much for your... Your loyalty. Blah, it, blah, feels, blah. it feels it's never ending story that I yeah. do thing, right? Yeah. And it's terrible. Do you know, I, 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 I you know, I, like all of us, you know, in sometimes feeling particularly frustrated, I'll, I'll vent on uh, social media or on Twitter or, or somewhere. And actually, the, the BA guys that look after that, they run their social the media, oh, are brilliant. So good. And I feel that so sorry for them. So they have good. to carry the can all of the time for these, you know, other things by the way down. i have a i mean i'm not going to say it but you probably have it as well that they have an email which is only the social media team and sometimes they find it an yeah. issue i actually email them yeah. oh, not oh, the yeah. traditional oh, customer yeah. service because they these are, guys will fix something they're right? great they're they, really yeah, great they are yeah. truly amazing. outstanding Absolutely yeah. amazing. and i you know they take the can for all of the you know the under investment literally over the decades uh, of their their it you know, yeah. I, you know i think of course yeah you know i do book flights with loads of other airlines they book you know direct with airlines, I book via, you know, you know, other travel agencies online and so on. BA's IT systems are just shocking across the board. Half the time I log in <laughs> to see my future bookings and oh, I They're can't see. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where is it? I don't know what's going on. I know. I know. Uh, see, it's interesting because you can underinvest in the product, right? And you can, you can take away an olive on a, on a canopy and save i mean there was the old business school anecdote about how much that saved i think it was united airlines when they did something like that and you eventually get used to it 
you know, that this is now the level of service. Yeah, you normalize I it. Yeah. Yeah. But when it's something that is functional, the underinvestment has got to be affecting the bottom line of the airline. Yeah. When you can't book or when you can't redeem, that actually may go in their or favor. Or it forces you to, I cannot access what I need, so I need to call them. Yeah. So they need yeah. Uh, frontline people well, to answer I mean, a simple query. Or, or I can't dispatch secret. flights. You know, I can't, I can't do weight day, and yeah. balance, you know, or anything like that. That, that surely like has bitten them in the ass. And I know, was it, what year was it where they, they redid basically their airport operation software? Oh yeah, to, it was a couple of years ago. To, was it called now fly? Yeah. Was it, yeah. And that was a disaster. And there's those things that happens. Yeah. When happens you, you re-architect something yeah, yeah. Op- that's critical to operations. Invariably, it's going to throw up all over itself, right? <laughs> but this, it seemed to last for months and months and months. But what I, what I, so I don't understand that. And I also still fail to understand that someone like you with 1.6 million miles, 20 years of ostensibly the top status, really. Yeah, yeah. For, for all intents and purposes. They've taken away the one thing that made you feel valued, which yeah. was, Hello. Hello, Mr. Parsons. Yeah. Welcome back. Good to see you again. Cost zero. Yes. Value limitless. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely right. Yes. Absolutely why? Right. Yes. Why, 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 why? It, it is not a time saving thing. I refuse no, no. to believe it. And it's the number not. of times I've, I've sat down and you can see the purser or, you know, the CSD looking at their iPad because they've all got, you know, the passenger yeah. list on their phone. Yeah, they know where, where, where they and are. You can yeah. see, you know, the status next yeah. to the name. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's not a technological thing. The it's data very, is right there yes. on the front yes. lines. This stuff really, really bothers Bugs, me. Yeah. Uh, and during the pandemic, I flew almost every six weeks to California in 20, whatever year it was. 20. 2020. And there was like eight of us on the airplane. And they... And I would kept running into the same cabin crew. It was a skeleton cabin crew running on the Dreamliners. And they would come and say, good to see you again. Welcome back. What can I do? I'm going to go get you a blanket from first class. I'll bring you some champagne and probably the starters. I did not expect that to continue. But in the past, they would at least go, I'll bring you a champagne from first class. Mm. Or even if I asked, like when they came and do the drinks run, they've got the iPad or the piece of paper there. And and I'd say, can I have have some bubbles are like oh uh, no <laughs> of course you can't in the even before this had been enhanced away and i for our listeners i enhanced in quotation marks because that's the euphemism that's used <laughs> and it really does feel like it has it is a procedural change to stop doing this yes. even before that had been implemented you would say when you were in economy can i have a glass of bubbles are like no Oh, they look at the iPad and go, yeah, just give me a minute. And they would go and get it. And you would feel amazing. At least yeah, I would. It's a small gesture. Yeah. It's a very small gesture. Maybe it's a loss of corporate memory. Because if you look at the, the crews now, they are, they are different. They're, you know, yes. they're, they're, you know, I think we can all remember the times where there were, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, quite senior from an age point of view, yes. members of staff on every British Correct. Airways flight who'd Correct. been there forever and ever knew how it worked and, you know, knew the systems front and back and they knew what customer service meant Yeah, from the old days of probably BOAC, BEA, whatever. Yeah. Now it, it appears that that, you know, that generation has gone. Well, also BA took 
opportunity of the pandemic hey, to do their, uh, yeah. their restructuration they, 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 they were, and they were be, dreaming about for yeah. years. And to be fair, all. they were not the only ones that did that. No, no, no of course not. Yeah. But, but that is not be a bashing, guys, yeah, by yeah. the way. This is not be a bashing. No, but I, but I think that that sense of what, what it meant to be a, you know, a service proposition was lost. And it might be actually, you know, it's just the meta trend of saying, well, you know, there are only really low-cost carriers now outside of the ME3, actually. I think that's an easy excuse, though. I agree. Yeah, it is and, an easy excuse, but I think that's the mindset. Yeah. And uh, I don't, and I, I mean, to, to, to reinforce Paul's point, I don't see this as BA bashing at all. I see it as the lamenting of a deterioration that we correct. were all rather fond of. Yeah. And also because BA, and I'm compared to you two, and to many, maybe many of you who are listening, it's it's an airline that has that is storied. Maybe it's the myth part of it because again, I've been living in the UK only for twelve years, so and I didn't really travel BA before that. And even within that time frame of twelve years, I really, really started traveling BA in the last eight. Yeah. Um, but you know, they were the first one to actually do like a proper what we now expect as a business class. So they were they were actually innovating as well. And and it's a it's an airline that evokes something to a lot of people anywhere in the world. That's what I mean, that you kind of, maybe the, you, your expectations are higher than United, yeah. no, no United bashing. We have United people listening to us. We're not bashing you guys, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? And yeah. so maybe that, that difference, that, that, that Delta between what we have in our mind as an image of what BA should be and what it is also creates that kind of frustration yeah. because it's really and, frustration we're expressing. And maybe, you know, th there is that nostalgia bit. You know, we started off well, talking of course, about yeah. Concorde, very nostalgic. Actually, mm. Butchis Bruchero is now, well, it's the, the English, but the British brand of IAG. Correct. And actually there's an awful lot of overlap, you know, in, in customer experience and the way things operate between all the IAG airlines now. Yes. And you know, sometimes you couldn't tell the difference if you didn't look on, on the outside of the airplane and see what color it was painted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a trend that just continues. Yeah, but that's the same if you look at the Lufthansa group yeah. Yeah, between Swiss, Austrian, and, 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 and Lufthansa, and Dolomiti or whatever. You can feel a merge yeah. because, of course, they buy, the group buy stuff for the hard product and they probably have like similar trainings as well. So I think that's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. Like and we said earlier, uh, you know, a sameness happens maybe it feels it's it's frustrating because in the late 90s and early 2000s when they were really pushing the whole world's favorite airline thing mm. you you did feel it you did especially yep. in business class i mean you you felt Huge they were difference. the they were the first airline i think to really do like proper duvets and lie flat beds and you felt like this is a this is an exemplar of brand britain Yes. You had the counter. You had you had the, the 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 cheekiness of Virgin and the cool Britannia side of it, and this and the sort of the sort of more refined British Airways, and they worked very harmoniously. I mean, they fought like cats and dogs, but that was fine. <laughs> but they 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 was a nice counterbalance if you wanted the the sort of the cheekiness of Virgin, or you wanted the the quiet sophistication of of Club World. Yes, Those, that differentiator seems to have evaporated. And the only thing that's left of that legacy of the Imperial OAS BOAC stuff is, as you said at the top of this kind of segment, the flight deck crew and how they carry themselves. Yeah. Maybe that's where they kind of, where they reinvent themselves from, if they have any appetite to do that in the first place. Yeah. yeah. You just like them to innovate. Yeah. They innovated enormously. Yeah. They brought in yeah, the business seeds, class. Yeah, they yes, brought in, yes. in many ways, they brought in premium economy. As, exactly. as something that we, we kind of now recognize. And 
you know, they innovated a lot around the meal service and all sorts of things in their time. But when was the last time the British Airways really innovated? Yeah. yeah. So just going back, because you mentioned a lot of the benefits you have with TGL, the one you didn't, and I'm sure our listeners will want to know, is that famous Concord room, yes. which I don't have access to and I've never <laughs> been at, which I want to know about. So if you know the the lounge complex uh, at Heathrow, the 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 southern end of the uh, the terminal terminal five, five, you'll know the first class lounge, and that's where you get in. If you go in the first class wing, you get dumped out into the first class lounge, which is mostly for gold uh, yeah. card holders. Correct. If you walk across the kind of the entrance, past the showers, walking towards the the main part of the terminal, you come into the Concord room which is uh, really for people who are traveling first class, so ticketed first class passengers. And it's a, a, a smaller, uh, slightly more upmarket version of the lounge, you know, nicer carpets, nicer chairs. It's um, uh, an at-seat service, on-demand service. Uh, it's a nice bar. There were more staff there. There was, you know, a period of time over the last couple of years where, you know, it, it wasn't that good, to be honest. Uh, but it's oh. it's caught up, you know, the staff there are now much more engaged and much better than they have been. And, you know, it's, it's I guess, what you would expect a first-class lounge to be. To be. Uh, and, you know, you might say, well, that's what the gold lounge should be. <laughs> but, but that's kind of what it, it, it is. It's a bit more intimate. It's a bit smaller. Has the nose from a Concorde. Uh, probably the one that the Air France scrapped <laughs> uh, 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 as a feature in, in, the, in the building. And also, apparently, I'm, I'm going to try this out in January. I can now get access to the, the new lounges at, at Terminal 7 at JFK. Oh, that's exciting. So that oh, yeah, yeah. So they just moved uh, last month, I think. Yeah, just Very last interested month. So that, that, that would be interesting. There was this image that I shared with you that uh, I found somewhere. Was it on Reddit? When the, they were dismantling the the old stuff, and you know, you had the sign British Airways, and the only thing that remained was Ish Airways. It's a bit what <laughs> yeah. we're saying about British Ish Airways. Ish <laughs> so is that is there is there any other besides New York and, and just New York and and Heathrow? Heathrow. They're the only two extra lounges. Oh, I think the no, there used to be access to the lounge in Singapore, but they took that away. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you've been. I have once with Fergie. He was with no me. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I was flying. I found one of those weird fares that I think we dissected many moons <laughs> ago where it was cheaper to go in first oh, yeah, to yeah, Miami yeah. on a 747 than it was to go in business on a 777. So, well, somebody else is paying for this. So, obviously, I'm going to Obviously, that. yeah. And we went in. And I think it, it was neat, but I think it might have been in the era that you were describing uh, where it was. It was less good. It was still neat and great, and we had a grand time. I don't remember a whole lot of it, but uh, <laughs> I, I had the feeling like maybe this at one point it was a bit, a bit better. Because now I read about it on Flyer Talk and other people on you know doing trip reports, and it does sound really, really good. It is. I mean, it's a nice environment because so there is, is the ability to innovate there. Yeah, with maybe. NBA. I mean, they do a fantastic burger. You know, that's oh, that, this I, is famous burger, right? It's every it's, time I go, I go. No, I want to go. It no, is a like it's it's, it's it is famous. It's, it's really as good. famous as the flourless toilets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really good burger. You definitely go for that. Um, yeah, but you know, I've probably got another year of that, and then if that will well, be my my GGL that. done. Enjoy yeah, I will enjoy it. But you something which we're just gonna touched it which doesn't only involve BA 
we mentioned earlier, I don't remember who was it that said that, that airlines didn't seem to be fighting for their loyal customers yeah. a lot uh, these uh, days. Yeah, it, that was, was an interesting yeah. revelation. And, and I read a lot and we thought about a lot that, uh, I mean, first of all, 2023 is a year of uh, reckoning, I guess, because a lot of, you know, these, these, these uh, COVID programs that were put in place to yeah. help. Uh, and at some point, you know, they had to stop it. And that's the year where they just stop it. All, all across the, the, the world, all the airlines are basically putting a stop to them, which means that a lot of corporate customers will lose their status. Some, some airlines offer kind of a, a nice parachute so you're not dumped into zero directly. But the point is, when you have too many people with status, mm. what is status? And sometimes we feel like we talked about it over and over with Alex about BA, the, the first class lounge where, uh, I mean, of course we're in London, of course there's a lot of corporates with a lot of money, but you enter and you're like, uh, okay, there's no chance of getting an upgrade. Do you ever get upgraded? Maybe once a year. I, I, I've often thought that there is a, there's an algorithm somewhere in BA's dodgy IT system that at some point early in the in the year, in my membership year, I will get one upgrade, and that will be it. And but it's not like the U.S. airlines no, where there's no. a list. Number eighty on a domestic flight. There's too many guys with status because you know, of course, yeah. you have the game with credit cards, and so people have twenty five credit cards. And I'm not here dissing because right. I know every time we say that, I'm going to get hate mail. Oh, you know, like, <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just that too much status is no status. Yeah. And have you seen? We talked about this the other day between you and me, Alex. The um, American airline is revamping the program and they will have 15 loyalty classes, 15. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what, what yeah, you know, it's become that joke when you like group 25 and yeah. you're yeah. still gold or something, right? I'm, 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 I'm wondering if a simplification, which because now people are losing their status anyway because they haven't flown, shouldn't be in the cards saying, you know, like, I mean, they're doing, sorry, I keep talking. We know uh, Lufthansa is doing that because they pushed it over. Um, the U.S. Have all, has already passed that. The BA is introducing that, I think, revenue-based programs. Revenue-based, yeah. Which makes sense, to be honest. Of course. For, well, for, for instance, in, in some ways it, make, it makes sense in that, yes, from a, from a BA's revenue point of view, they, they're, they're focusing the people that pay them the most. But they're not necessarily the most loyal travelers. Correct. Or the people that are choosing BA when they've got another choice, you know. I, you know, when I travel, I have a budget that, that my employer set. And so I can, you know, I do my best to, to make the most of that budget. Yeah. And that will often mean flying on a discounted business class. Do ticket. you have a, do you have, a, if you don't want to mention, you don't have to, do you have like an incentive program? So if you beat the budget. We do. So, so we have a scheme where a budget is set, which is probably just a little bit more than the premium economy. Okay. Usually. Um, and anything that you can budget that's below the cap, you get to credit that. So you can kind of bank that for oh, a future ah, journey. That's sensible. So, you know, if you're flying around Europe, who cares? I would never say. get any work done because <laughs> I, I would do just be working on my yeah. spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it goes through the territory here. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so you, you, can, you can bank money when you're traveling around Europe to spend long haul. In theory, anyway, but it it always means that you know I'm I'm never paying full, fair, flexible tickets. Who in their right mind does? No. If you're spending your money or your your company's money, to be honest, I agree. So I'm always trying to find the the best budgeted business class ticket I can. If you move to a, a revenue based model, I become much less important to yeah. the airline, even though 
you could argue I'm equally loyal. I'm just not spending as much money. And that will entice you to be the opposite. You will yeah. be less loyal because, you know, if they don't really care now. Yeah, you would so, go to somebody who would. But on, on the other end, I mean, it's tough. I'm not going to debate that for hours. But I, I, when I flew to Saudi Arabia, the price I paid for that flight, especially the one to Dubai with Emirates, was out of this world insane because everything is freely booked up. And when I see how much credit, how much points I uh, got, Skywards, whatever, I'm like, really? Like three years ago, I would have paid like a third of this yeah. and it's the same point. So you, you, I would love to have yeah. to kind of see that I've still made the effort to pay that much money. Give me something for mm -hmm. it. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, so I get both end of the argument, basically. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Huh. So, but, but I think you're right. There's going to be a reset this year. And I think, you know, maybe the, the first class lounge is going to be a bit quieter next year compared to this year. I won't be there. Yeah, I won't <laughs> be there after March. We get a soft bounce to silver, I think. Yeah. Or at least we used to. I don't know if we will. I think I'm qualifying for silver. I'm pretty sure. I haven't checked. Anyway, yeah. Know anymore. But it's still, you know, and I, I say to people, it's always worth your while being a member. You know, it's, it's oh, important sure. to I have agreed. a number. Agreed. Because, you know, there is a, there is a hierarchy. Always. Yeah. So... You know, you need to be on that even if you're at the bottom. It's better than not being on it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Even those mileage accrual uh, pops that you get with, you know, bronze, it's worth it. It's worth it because the, the redemption within Europe, the taxes are almost non-existent. It's, so it's worth getting yeah. that extra little bump. Yeah, and it doesn't cost you anything just to oh. sign up and to put your number every time Come, you buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then unsubscribe. Um, do you have... Besides, obviously, we just talked about Concord and that flight that you made with Concord. But do you have any flights that are particularly memorable for any reason, good or bad? Of course, we just did some bad that may be good. <laughs> On any airline, it doesn't have to be BA, obviously. Do you have like one flight, two flights, maybe when you were a kid or maybe recently? Something okay, that I, really I'll, I'll give you out. one of each. So like most of us, I remember my first flight, I think, very well, which was... Uh, my my mother was from Northern Ireland, so I used to fly to Belfast quite often. And this was a flight from Gatwick to Belfast International, as it is now, Aldgrove Airport, on a, a Vickers Viscount oh. operated by British Midlands. So this is, a uh, for those of you who've never seen one, a uh, British four-engine turboprop aircraft with literally massive windows. The Duck, windows. There's one at Duxford. There's one at Duxford you can go inside, so go and do it because it is a... Beautiful airplane. Beautiful. And, and it whistled. It had these uh, turboprop engines, engines that you, know, it, you could hear it whistling as it came along. And the windows were literally from, uh, you know, if you're sitting in a seat, they, they'd be from you kind of your lap to your head. They're that oh, that size, too. huge. So I remember that because I felt like I was flying. You were just looking out of this huge window. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a child, that was, that was an incredible experience. And actually then... A, a, a trip that I did just because I thought it would be fun earlier this year was the one to Barra in, uh, yes. uh, in Scotland, where you land on the beach. That's the airport of the day. Otter. That's the airport of the day. So tell yeah. us about that. The flight and the airport. Tell yeah. So you, you fly from Glasgow to Barra. It takes what, a, sorry to interrupt. Why did you go there? Because I wanted to. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There was no, <laughs> there was no reason to go there. I mean, clearly people commute and, and, you know, it's a, it's a major and important business link for, for the islanders, the, the flight there. So Barra is an island. Barra is an island okay. in the Hebrides. And um, it, it's not an airport in a conventional sense. There's a terminal building, very small, uh, a bit like a flying club, club to, be off, to be honest, but more like a, 
a, a doctor's rating room rather than a, an airport terminal. <laughs> and you land on the beach. So you take off from Glasgow. It's about an hour, just over an hour's flight. Uh, flying there, for whatever reason, I think the RAF were doing maneuvers. Um, we didn't get above a thousand feet. So it was just rippling along in this twin otter. Uh, you know, it was on autopilot, but you know, you, you could oh, literally, cause you're sitting right behind the pilot. You can see exactly what's happening and you land on the beach and it is just an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, and so you get out and I wandered around for a, an hour or two and waited for the next flight to take me back to Glasgow. But it was one of those things I wanted to do since I was, you know, I'd heard about it. Uh, and yeah, you, know, you land on the beach and there's water there and the spray comes up. Uh, and the Twin Otter is just, you know, it's like a, a flying Ford Transit van. It's, yeah, yeah, I think it's such a great, beast. That's I a love great that airplane. Actually. It's amazing. But we've done it on the Maldives, the Maldives yeah. which is not exactly the same temperature in uh, the same. No, uh, no, <laughs> it was quite chilly uh, on Barra. But uh, no, it was a great experience. And, and the contrast between, you know, Glasgow, big international airport, and you arrive literally at what feels like a doctor's waiting room. And <laughs> so what airline was this? It was Logan Air. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So, Scotland's airline. So were the, was the schedule based on the tides? Yeah, the schedule was based on the tides. So the tide comes in enough that the runway closes when the tides in. The runway, quote unquote. Yeah. And, and actually, I think there are two or three, one, one way, nothing marked. You, well, there's a, I think there's a kind of an orange triangle uh, on the on so the side only of the daytime beach. flights then. Yeah, it's only daytime flights. It's yeah. only VFR, clearly, official yeah. flight rules. And you, you basically, depending on which direction the wind's blowing, you'll land in in that direction. And there are approximately three one ways. Uh, but nothing's marked. Uh, that's amazing. Well, I know what I'm doing next. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I think that. I'm, I'm not sure if there was once a, a service on the plane. I had heard somewhere that they used to give out Tunnock's tea cakes and oh, Tunnock's caramel bars. Amazing. But, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was literally like a bus, uh, but fabulous. What so did you stay or did you leave right after? I just wandered around and then came back. So, so the same aircraft, same yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, oh, well, wow. you just said that this airport relies uh, on the tides. Well, here in London, it's... We know when it snows, everything closes, right? Yeah. <laughs> the same idea. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they're a bit more hardy in Scotland. I think <laughs> they, they cope with this more than we can. Do you, do you like Heathrow? No. Oh, and oh I, sorry. I, know, I think, you know, a, a lot of I wasn't our, expecting that. A lot of our criticisms of BA actually are probably yeah. more criticism of, of Heathrow. That's, that's true. And, you know, yeah. I think in terms of the responsibility when things go wrong, a lot of that often relies at Heathrow's door. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's you know it's 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 shocking the way that airport is run. I mean, let's not talk about what's happening this week and next week. I mean, this week we, I mean, you heard guys that we've talked that we're we have an epic scale of the number of strikes that we're having in this country. Uh, but next week is going to be pretty damning mm. from Ether. And that's the thing: there's no real strikes this week because border force, I think, is only tomorrow mm. or whatever. And it's already a mess. Our friends arriving, and it's already uh, a mess. So it's yeah, it's not great. I mean, it's always hard, we say, with Alex to judge an airport when it's your home airport in yeah. a way because you don't transit there. It's not bad, but I agree that it's not well run, especially post-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always going to have limitations based on where it is and the amount of land that it's got and, you know, the, the volume of traffic that it has to deal with. 
but that's no excuse for it not being managed as well as it could be. And it's, <laughs> it just seems that, you know, there are too many people involved. It's overly complicated. There seems to be a, yeah, a, a relationship of mistrust between the airlines and the people that run the airport, which is never a, a good position to be mm -hmm. in. And, you know, maybe they've been so fixated on the third runway that they've just forgotten about investing Everything in the is. passenger experience for the people that are still there. Yeah, that's not wrong. You know, Terminal 5, great, but that was built nearly 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they will go? We will get a third runway there? No. No. Not in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> you're young, you're young. Oh, we'll you're have rich, it. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Come on. I mean, I don't know if we should have one. I think you could probably get away with two runways for a, a lot longer. They could certainly, if you look at Terminal 2, that's half a terminal. There's clearly, yeah, yeah, clearly. The space to finish it. Yes. You want to knock down the old Terminal 1. Yeah, we're put just, the other terminals. Just, every time you taxi past there. Terminal 1, you're like, why do you it close it? It looks cool. Yeah. It's such a waste of space and capacity. Or I mean, I'm sure they know things that we don't, and yeah, there's yeah, lots clearly, of very, yeah, very yeah, strong yeah, reasons. Clearly. And I've met people working at, at Ethro. They're very good people. I think it's just yeah. that one of these operations that is such of such scale that there's sometimes it feels the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Mm. And, uh, but you like look at the other airports around Europe. You look at the investments they've made in Paris, the continued investments they make in Amsterdam. You know, you, you have to spend money on the infrastructure. Uh, and you can't stand still. Yeah, that's for sure. So is that where you fly usually from, or you fly Gatwick more? I try to fly as often as I can from Gatwick. Um, oh, they see? We had that discussion yeah. last time. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they, at least they're trying. You know, there's, there's some investment happening. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a bit more time. We said, okay, that we'll probably travel a bit less next year. We never know. What are you most looking forward? Because people hearing this will be hearing this on the 31st of December, will be the close of the year. But first of all, maybe, was it a good travel year? Because, you know, we met here almost to the dot three years ago. So before everything shut down and now it's kind of back, but not fully, but probably 2023 could be the year when it's fully, let's see, besides the fact that there's a crisis. Did you feel 2022 as a good year for travel for you? Were you happy? Yeah, I think actually when I look back at it, it, it it was probably better than I imagined. You know, we, we look back to January of this year, uh, certainly in the UK, it was 50-50, whether it be entering another lockdown or not. Yeah. Um, so I think we've made more progress than I imagined we would do. I certainly traveled more than I thought I was going to. Um, so yeah, are we back to normal? No, clearly not. I think there are still issues in, in restarting the machine uh, after, after the, uh, the COVID lockdown. Uh, but I think we've made more progress, and I think it's not been a bad travel year. It's it's it's, it's clearly had its problems, and I think there will there will continue to be some problems. But we're getting there. I think we're getting there. It's very interesting. For somebody said you've been traveling more than you thought because we're standing uh, here at Google, and I can see that it says Google Meet in front of us. So I'm like, you could do a lot on Meet. Uh, yeah. this, uh, it's good that they send you still to travel. But to that point, on a personal level, was it a good year for you? Do you, do you travel anything exciting or stuff? I mean, you mentioned a few, but. Were you happy with your travel this year? Yeah, I was actually. I, I was, it was, there was lots of um, variety. You know, I, I often end up, you know, traveling across to California for business reasons or good. Uh, to other places in the States. I traveled much more actually on, on leisure this year than I have done for quite a long time. Uh, you know, with the family, we went to Iceland on a, a vacation, which nice. was lovely. Um, my wife and I went across the Atlantic on Queen Mary 2, came back. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, I How thought, was that? I thought I, I, was, I should travel 
by ship across the Atlantic just to experience how long it took. Mm. And it, it really does take a long time. <laughs> um, and so that was, that was fun. So, you know, I did much more leisure travel than I have done for many years. And I think, to be fair, we kind of knew travel wouldn't, would be a bit hit and miss and yeah. it would be a bit more difficult. Uh, and it was. So I, I, yeah, I, I think it kind of lived up to those expectations. So, yeah, but it was lovely just to be traveling again. And mm. yes, you, you make the point about from a business point of view, well, surely you can use Meet and we use Meet and Zoom and all the things you would expect. But actually, I'm, I'm sure we, as we'd all recognize, you can't beat those conversations you have yeah. in the corridor over a cup of coffee uh -huh. or bumping into people. And there is still huge value in travel. Uh, and I think, I think people recognize that more today than they've ever done. Flashback of memory. You mentioned Queen Mary. Is it not the Queen Mary one that is moored in LA? Long Beach? Long Beach. Yeah. And there was this plane from Howard Hughes, mm -hmm. the biggest plane in the world that now is no longer, they, they had built this dome. And I, I think that would be a, this dome, I think still exists. It would be a great place for a Concorde now. Yeah, they are. They, it would be. Yeah. yeah. See? Alex, was it a good year for you, traveling-wise? Were you yeah, happy? Yeah, it just felt like a long year, um, but it's definitely, I've had some unique experiences. I think particularly the Maldives was yeah. a bucket list for, for a lot of reasons, and then lots of other adventures as well. So I think, I, I like you, Ed, I traveled more than I thought I would. Yeah. Uh, for, it, it felt relatively normal. Traveling during the pandemic was was tiring and stressful and weird. This feels normal again which yeah. is rather lovely but i am being a lot more like you i think we've talked about this a lot uh for me a little bit of the joy has been removed from air travel and the frustrations are much more raw and there's something missing mm -hmm. from yeah. it and i don't know what it is yeah and i'm wondering because i've also had a very i thought i would not travel almost at all this year and ended up you know going to pakistan and saudi and uh to St. Lucia. So I'm very happy. Less travel, but actually travel that was impactful, at least for me. But I agree with what you said. And I'm, I keep wondering, is it, of course, it's part of the industry itself that, like you said, it's, uh, Ed, it's a machine that needs restarting. But is it us as well? Uh, maybe the way we perceive travel, mm. uh, unwillingly, maybe? I'm not here, including Ed. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on this, but I feel less enthralled i yeah. love still flying mm. and i love traveling but there's something that and is it because simply got shut down and start again and it's and we got older i yeah, don't know yeah. <laughs> but it's not exactly the same i'm still happy when i'm in a flight i'm still happy when they're big aircraft especially i don't I, you were mentioning earlier that uh you know we'll have like a single ale uh, i just read was it the other day that um airbus did uh, the 321 xlr they did yeah. uh, 13 hour with our refueling yeah we would go to singapore with that i don't want to go to singapore <laughs> with a single ale i want wide bodies yeah you know but yeah I, I i don't know but i mean still very happy about uh the fact that uh, like you like you both guys said we traveled more than expected and how do you see next year then do you have any hopes whether it's for you for the travel industry obviously the travel industry we know but for you yeah i i think the The Bucking. return to normality continues. I think actually I'm going to be traveling less. For, you know, I think we will have to recognize the economy is in um, yeah. a bit of a sticky state at the moment. So I don't expect to travel as much as I did this year. Yeah. But I, I think actually for the industry as a whole, that's probably not a bad thing, actually. Mm. I think it, it could do a little bit of pressure off to, to sort of restart again. But I think, you know, the, the finances 
are going to be a bit sticky for the next year or two. Um, so, so we shall see. But I, you know, I don't expect to travel as much, and I'm okay. And we say that, and we'll meet again in one year. Say, oh, I traveled more than Way I thought. Yeah, more than yeah, I did. But yeah. we never. Yeah, Alex, sure. you uh, any? Yeah, any I think I, I. The writing is definitely on the wall from a business travel perspective. Yeah, but I think I found myself arriving at the same conclusion as you, Paul, that the travel I want to do in 2023, I want it to have purpose and meaning, and I'm, you know, all those places that have been on my list of of someday, I'm going to start plucking from that list and building either attache episodes around them or, uh, you know, taking more adventures with, with my wife, um, and kids as well. My kids used to travel so much and then it's, it's just, well, also they're getting older, so it's nice. Yeah. I think they will have different perspectives on it as well. So, and it's nice to have, um, since you just mentioned Megan that, uh, you know, she's, there's so many places that she doesn't know. Yeah. Might do, but you... Yeah, I mean, all of Asia. I think now they, the Asia is opening back up. Hong Kong has finally fully reopened. And I'm, I'm, I can't wait to, to take her there and, and my kids back to places like that, that that were part of my kind of identity. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I feel, uh, I feel the same. I will. The only thing, the only downside of traveling coming back to normal, and hopefully it's going to be next year, uh, which would be shorter than we thought we should it would take four or five years uh is the um, shadow of potential over tourism again mm. so for me there's a few places that i have like you on my bucket list that i'm i, I kind of want to hit faster than later yeah. saying uh, <laughs> there's still not too many people or they haven't returned yet so tell us where we should yeah, go for. <laughs> where, where, oh, where are the places no no the, the, the one that you probably have been but i've never been is simply i want to go to angkor wat in no, cambodia yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and because Chinese haven't restarted traveling yet. Uh, it's still quiet-ish. I mean, not quiet. It's not locked down quiet, right? And as a also keen photographer like you are, I don't. I do. I do not photograph planes, but I like uh, architecture. I want to see it without having like two million people yeah. in front of me trying to take their the selfie in front of the sun setting or rising. So. I might, I don't know, I might, because uh, like Alex said, also, you know, we are both of us, uh, Alex and I, we are consultants. I mean, we have our own um, small businesses and we cannot escape the reality of the economy. So, um, thank God I have a lot of miles. (laughs) Use them wisely. I'm going to use them wisely. There's no Concord for me to try. So (laughs) I'll have to do uh, and Japan. And Japan, Japan, yeah, uh, yeah. I have to go. Uh, you've been right. I mean, yeah, I have, we have family in Japan, so I, I love traveling to Japan. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy that it's slowly reopening again. Yeah, I will definitely go. So I think um, I think I think we're closing in, guys. Um, we keep telling that we want to have guests, we never do, and then we have, and then now we'll have. See you in three years, Ed. <laughs> Alex and Ed do not realize how many emails I'm going to get now because. Oh, but you told me I could be a guest and you never did. So you do have guests. And now I'm going to be, Alex, be ready next year to have yeah. a lot of, uh, lot of views actually coming up. But um, yeah, uh, besides, if you have any last words, um, thank you so much, Ed. For it's been time. my pleasure. It's been always, I'm a huge fan, obviously. I love listening to the show. Extra special if I can listen to the show when I'm in an airplane. So, uh, uh, but, but keep up the good work, guys. And I, I think, you know, as as a representative of the audience, we love what you guys do. So just that's keep keep kind. going. No, that's thank you, thank you for having us. Um, it's true to what just Ed said that we have had in the past two weeks a lot of people telling us, "Oh, I'm listening to you back in an aircraft. Mm. It's so cool." 
I'm thinking, who is it? Michael, Michael, I think he's going to Haneda. Probably you are in the flight right now, actually, and listening yeah. to the previous episode because this one is not out. So thank you, all of you, and well, Happy New Year, I guess. Safe travels, guys, if you're going yeah. anywhere. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy flying. There you go. There you are. See you in 2023. That's done.